Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here, and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast. A podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have part two of our two-part series, all about M&A in mature industries. And of course, we are looking specifically today at the print industry. Now, no fear if the print industry is not your industry, this is still relevant to you. If you deal in an industry that is a mature industry because a lot of the areas that we talk about in this episode and of course in part one, the episode prior, are general comments in relation to dealing with mature industries. And of course, we have back to join us for the second part in our two-part series, Stephen Edwards and Stephen Stuti from Transworld North Sydney, who both have decades of experience in dealing not only in the print industry, but also in mature industries as a whole. Now, in this two-part series, we're traversing a lot of topics, but in particular, we're looking at the role of private equity. We're looking at process and strategic valuations. And we're also looking at the state of the industry as a whole, how to do deals in a mature industry, what is deemed valuable in a mature industry, the timeframes and processes. And we also look critical factors buyers are looking for when they're looking at businesses like, for example, the print industry. So without any ado, let's head into part two of our two-part series all about M&A in mature industries. Here we go. Have there been any other sort of sales that have stood out in your mind that, you know, are, are really interesting when we're reflecting on this industry? Yeah, sales, that we've, we've done many print sales. Um, that, look, every sale is different in the way we, we approach it because obviously the owner, you know, sometimes doesn't have it ready for sale. So we're there helping them putting the, the, the sale together before it goes onto market. Because a lot of a lot of owners, particularly, don't um, have their profit and loss statements for the last three years ready. Right, absolutely, and this comes back to the comment that we were making about the the benefit of being ready for due diligence and having them ready to go. Because you know, I can think of lots of transactions that we've been involved in where we've been pulled in right at the at the point where commercial terms have already been agreed, and then we get involved, and then. DD's on and our clients, you know, if we're acting for the sellers, then, oh, no, I didn't know you needed three years of financials and it creates all sorts of problems when, you, you know, they're then having to rely on their accountant to finish off financials, which has happened in, you know, quite a few recent matters that we have. It's just, it creates problems all around. In fact, it makes me think of, we've um, got a deal at the moment where, where we're acting for the, the acquirer um, who is in the middle of a roll-up um, in, in the uh, particular industry 
industry that we were working in. And they negotiated uh, commercial terms. They had agreement on that. We had draft contracts out and agreed. We were at the doorstep of exchanging on this. And then, you know, all our client was waiting on was the last financials that the accountants were preparing. But the problem was by the time the financials came through, there'd been such a delay that actually when we got updated financials, the business performance had dropped a bit since the last financials date, which which is something that is important to note here happens when you know people are exiting a business, have their eye on the sale rather than... I generally now ask for year-to-date sales or year-to-date yep. profit and loss statement because that is the one of the last elements that a, that a purchaser asks for. And this is after, this is at due diligence stage, mind you. Yeah. So um, I had a recent example only only the last two sales ago where the year-to-date sales dropped by about 8%. Yeah. It was a retail business. But then that's it. The buyer wants to renegotiate, don't they? Or pull, you know. Renegotiate. It wasn't a big amount. It was about mm. $10,000 drop in price. You know, it wasn't a significant amount, but they had control of it. They had, they had a point where the sales were dropping. However, my justification for that was we're not appraising a business based on year-to-date sales. We're, we're appraising the business on the last three years. Mm. It may be a drop in sales now, but doesn't necessarily mean it's going to continue to decline like it has. And we mm. proved that it wasn't, hence the reason why they wanted a reduction of price around 50000 mm. And at the end, we, you know, we had, it was, it was a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. So we yeah, yeah, yeah. in the hand. And look, you know, I mean, I guess what you're talking about here is this is the reason why it's great to have, you know, a broker like you're an advocate in the middle for for the seller because in in many situations, if you don't have someone to advocate for you in that situation as the seller, you know, a buyer will either A, beat down the price or B, the whole deal will fall, fall through. In my example, the, the deal fell through. It could have fallen over, but we had to yeah. validate the reasons why and how we appraise the business. So the buyer was comfortable after that and we minimised the negotiation. Yeah. Well, it's a really good point. But back to the point, it's the the reason why you should have your financials ready straight away so that you're not holding your deal up by your failure or your accountant's failure. That's what I was going to say. Have the account ready with year-to-date profit and loss statements as well Mm -hmm. at time or when it's going on to the market. This actually comes to another point. I think a quick deal is a good deal generally, I I feel, because the more um, a deal is slowed down, the more likely it is to um, to fall over or for issues to occur where, you know, you, you might have repricing sort of pressures or um, whatever the case may be. I think the other thing that's important is it's a very traumatic experience. So if the business isn't big, You've got an owner who's running the business and he's also going through this sale process. And mm. sale process due to health or they've got to move or a divorce mm. is emotion. And what you see is momentum start falling away because they're mentally checking out. Yeah. And a business process that goes for three to six months, you can have an almighty shift in the revenue portfolio and cadence. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that we do a lot of is the VD, you know, the vendor due diligence. We, we mm. get them ready to be on market because that's one of the roles we should play. Mm. Once you're at market, you've got to have a bow around it. Like it should be ready. ready. And if it's not, I think that's their fault and our fault. We should help mm. them get ready to get into the market. We're there to, I guess, guide them. And yeah. a lot of vendors will, will, will listen 
but a lot of vendors just don't have the information readily available to give to us. So yeah. we tell them with caution that, yes, we can go to market, but be, be aware that the fact that they'll ask for this information and if it's not available, I can guarantee you they'll either get cold feet or they'll get nervous and they just pull out. Yeah, 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 absolutely. There are things like Steve and I talk about this all the time, how powerful the landlords are. So we can go all the way down the line and this private equity was interesting. They're only three years in Australia. Mm. Deal that we'd done, they had the money and everything, but the landlord was going to knock them back mm. in Australia for three years. So they mm. had all this rigmarole to to get to them. And so that happens a lot, shopping centres, yeah. all sorts of businesses. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a really interesting thing, isn't it? You know, so we have seen a bit of that as well. And one of the things that I say to my clients, if, if they're a, the acquirer and potentially facing this sort of issue, is to get them ready to sell themselves to the landlords. And it's interesting because someone coming in from a PE perspective or someone who's an aggregator doesn't necessarily think of them as themselves as someone who has to sell themselves to the landlord, but it's a marketing exercise in and of itself, isn't it? Don't you think? Well, they were affronted by it, but this price. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yes, I've certainly seen that. Three times, Jude, and this was one of the key things. And we hadn't thought about that, but it's hit our checklist now because... Yeah. At our management meetings, Steve and I are on there all the time. Mm. Banks, mm. you know, banks are problematic and tenure and leases are problematic. But it's and it's about being on the front foot, isn't it? About understanding that in advance and being able to manage it from the front rather than having all of this time wasted in in this sort of protracted um, negotiations and discussions with a landlord. Equipment financing is a big one. Equipment financing... A lot of manufacturing or in the print industry in general have a lot of equipment on lease. Mm. And what we generally do is assign it to the to the purchaser. However, that could potentially could be a bit difficult as well because they've got to they've got to present financials, they've got to present as you know, their credibility in the industry before they can assign that. It's very similar to a, a premises lease. Mm. And what we say in our industry, landlord's king. Uh, without a landlord or without the assignment of, of, of equipment leases, we don't have a business to sell. Yeah, isn't that interesting? And so what then would you say your general takeaways and general messages in relation to the industry? I think people shouldn't talk it down. There's, yeah. there's some areas in the industry that are doing it tough. There's generally areas in there that are doing well. You have to be a good operator now. You know, I think the industry had an opportunity where you could be a bit mediocre and get by. Mm. People are still buying, people are aggregating, but you have to really have a business that's well represented and well presented because if it's not, they won't look at it. Um, people are looking for volume, profit and some aggregation savings. Yeah, so like Steve said, there's a lot of capacity out there in some of these printers who are looking to acquire but they don't mm. really need to buy the equipment as well. They can mm. just buy the book value. So what I mean by that, they're, they're potentially buying the clients, but also, I guess, picking some of some of the staff within that business as well. And the equipment could be sold as 
uh, separately. Mm-hmm. And well, I guess that then comes back to preparation. If that's the kind of buyer you're going after, then it's about managing your your financing of your assets, your equipment leases to make sure that that's something that you can actually do. You've got to have a modular mind. You've got to think that if I want to get out, the modular way is that it could be the full, it could be some, it could be you know, staff tool plus uh, revenue, uh, it could be some technology. Yeah, we've got some big businesses we're working on that have some technology that's adding to the sale because the touch points of how clients interact with that business, they've got some uniqueness. The trick there is people overvalue what technology's worth. They think it's worth a fortune because they mm-hmm. they soon find out it's just an aid to sell the business. It's not a big value prop. Mm-hmm. It seems this industry all have IT people that, you know, play around a bit and design things. <laughs> so in saying that, we, we do talk to our owners before even we sign them up and just tell them what are the pitfalls within within selling a business, especially in the print industry where there's a lot of variables. And some of the things are, you know, the equipment leasing, the premises lease obviously is in all business transactions but predominantly print where you don't mm. have that experience in the industry like Steve said. You know, mm. that, that potentially could, the deal could fall over. And then the staff where it's all about relationship selling in this industry as well. So that's important. The other thing that they look at is debtors. You know, a lot of companies run a very poor debtor process. Mm. You come in, you start seeing anything in a 120-day, 90-day mm. column. Mm. That client, that, that's a real worry because that, that mm. money's cycled out of the, the model. Mm. And so that, you know, how valuable is a client paying 120 or 90 or whatever? And that happens a lot in this industry. So we we really try and get them to tighten that up. Great. I mean, you know, I always say this, but isn't it interesting that a sale-ready business is a better business to run in the meantime anyway? And, you know, obviously this pulling in, you know, all of the money that you're owed is a really good plan because cash is king and helps you to continue to invest in your business. If you look at real estate now, pretty much every real estate deal has a staging of the house. Mm. Take that concept into the business. Yeah. You've got to stage your business. So that's systems, processes, HR, debtors, creditors, all that sort of stuff is how you stage your business. Until it's staged, you shouldn't go to market. Mm. I think that's a really good point. Um, and, and it comes back to uh, ensuring that you're pre-planning, you know, that you, you're giving enough time to get your business in the right shape for sale. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, and so let's just quickly go through the critical factors that you think buyers are looking for in a print business. What, what are the top sort of three to five things that buyers are particularly looking for? They're, they're looking at um, how strong the client base is, what's the product profile going into that client base, mm. what's the revenue cadence, so what's the frequency of the revenue within the client base. Then they look at the efficiencies, how well run, because they're many manufacturing bureaus, so they run well. They then look at the talent pool because there's still some technical talent in these companies mm. and technology doesn't get in the way of that. You still need good skill. And then they look at the, the salespeople and they want to know, well, how good are they, how strong are the relationships and, and are they going to be moving out and what that would do if they did move out. 
And then there's the business drivers. You know, a lot of small business don't have good reporting. Mm. So it's very hard to see the drivers in the business. So the astute buyer wants to be able to very quickly pull a few levers and have a look, and that's just got to be there. And debt ratios, you know, all the liquidity and all the ratios that are standard, people look at it because there's generally a dip before there's an up. up. Mm. So people do the tram track management and work that out. Um, and then they go from there. Obviously, owner dependency is another one. You know, business yeah. owners are not, you're not too reliant on the business owner being in the business. Mm. And mm. So therefore, if they are, it's not as easily transferable. And that's why Steve was saying about a structured handover process. It mm. potentially be shortened if the owner's not as dependent on the business and it's the salespeople more so than the owner. And and I guess the other thing is, um, as you talked about earlier, that leases are important as the landlord discussions uh, can be <laughs> quite vexing, but the leases themselves, so I guess, you, you know, good leases, long, long-term leases, leases that have got a bit of time left to run, uh, you know, I, I guess must be another factor in that. And also the banks now, if you're loaning money, you know, they're getting tough, so they want longevity in the lease. Yeah. You understand people's age. You know, if you're over 50, off, often now with the banks you've got to have a an exit plan because people mm. might put their house up and try and get a 25-year loan, but the banks aren't interested because you're getting into that age bracket. So you've really, you know, I've seen this a bit recently where you need an exit plan around your life type thing because what happens at 25 years, you're probably not going to be in there in that business. Yeah. The banks are getting very specific on what they're looking for. I think what's becoming becoming more prevalent now is vendor finance. I think you've heard a lot about that. Joanna? Mm, mm, yeah, yeah. And, you know, certainly we're seeing a bit of it as well. Well, in America, you know, I've, I've been on the industry board over there as well and they had 25,000 printing companies and most printers were sold on vendor finance. Mm. Is that right? Well, we're certainly not there yet, I don't think, but that's isn't that really interesting? So most, uh, so the majority were well, sold. The majority of the US is sold on vendor finance. Yeah, right. That's really interesting. It's a big group, but, you know, it's very big in America and, and our feedback at conferences is always, you know, vendor finance. You've got to start mm. getting it into Australia because people just don't think that they should be doing that. And I think Steve or one of our clients the other day, you know, their, their account said, oh, don't do vendor finance. You shouldn't need to do that. It's an affront. Well, it's not. It's just the way things are going. Well, I mean, look, to be completely frank, earnouts are a type of vendor finance anyway, aren't they, really? (laughs) As well as risk sharing, but they are, you know, I I guess effectively that's what they are. You don't get all the money up front. It's um, probably the bank giving the money, the vendors giving it out at probably 1.5% or 1% or 1.5% over the commercial rate. Yeah. So in the end, they're actually selling the business at at a higher, higher price than what the actual asking price is because of the interest for interest they're earning on, on the loan. Mm. And then, of course, there are a whole heap of considerations that come in when we're looking at vendor finance, particularly where vendor finance is, is the main component of the purchase price. Um, of course, as I said, earnouts are a type, but usually they're, you know, a smaller component of the purchase price, but traditional vendor finance is, you know, the whole amount or the majority of the amount. But then, you know, you really have to have, that's where potentially your buyer 
due diligence comes in and something that's really important for vendors, um, understanding, you know, will, whether they'll be able to run the business in such a way that they'll pay you what you've agreed. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But also you've got to make sure that if you're in any sort of finance arrangement that you get access to decision-making and management. Yeah. We just yeah. had a deal recently where we had to put in what sort of reports we needed our, our vendor to get access to because someone comes in and runs it bad, you've got to know yeah. pretty quick. That's right, that's right. It's dropping. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and building in, you know, things like, you, you know, or at least considering step-in rights and, and, you know, the security that you're taking. So there's all sorts of things, I guess, to consider from a vendor finance perspective. But you're absolutely right. It, it's one of those things that, um, of course, being able, having the, um, uh, I, I guess, having the ability to consider vendor finance as one of your options as um, you're exiting will increase the potential pool of buyers. So, that's the point in it all, I guess. In the jury industry, it, it's a really important part of the art. And that doesn't mean you're getting less for the business. It just means, in a way, you could get more because mm. that's what may pull the deal together. It might only be 20% or a small proportion, but why would you let that 20% get in the way? Mm. You know, that means you're not a motivated vendor. We're, mm. we're actually you know, proposing this to vendors upfront now and conditioning them that that potentially could be part of the negotiation. And when you're talking about that, though, are you talking about the vendor finance effectively being sort of a small component that's a deferred payment um, or you're talking about that as being a major com- component that you're now talking about as something that they really... It could be a, an 80-20 or 60-40 split. Yeah, yeah. It's all around the concept that it may come. Then the early discussions may give you a ratio and then you drop the ratio in. Mm. But people often just don't feel that we should be funding people. Well, it's the way of the world in most countries. It's just not flying too much here just yet. Yeah, well, you know, and and banking is getting tighter and tighter at the moment in Australia, as we all know. So I I guess it will be, you know, a topic of uh, future discussion quite a bit, I think. Yeah. Good work. Excellent. Well, look, that's it, guys. I just want to say a massive thank you um, for your time in coming onto the show today. Gosh, we've um, traversed quite <laughs> quite a few areas. It's certainly not just been about print. We've uh, we've really covered a lot. Um, if any of our listeners are interested in getting in contact with you, how do they go about doing that? Yeah. Well, the two Steve's. <laughs> There's a joke around Dumb and Dumber, and it's not us, but it's a great movie. I love it, Steve. See, I can see Steve. I know exactly that'll have been a Steve that said that. <laughs> and how do we find you, Steve and Steve? Yeah, if you go to our website, Transworld um, at North Sydney, tworld.com.au forward slash North Sydney, my mobile 0457 and my mobile is 0417696228. Fabulous. And we've got a team of associates with us, so we're always here looking to help vendors and clients find what they're looking for. So 
give us a call. Fabulous. Oh, look, and we'll put all of those links in our um, show notes and on our website as well. So um, if you didn't catch it because you're running along the beach or on your commute into work at the moment, have no fear. Um, just head over to our website or the show notes for a link straight through to Steve and Steve. Well, Steve and Steve. <laughs> I just, I can't, it's just, it cracks me up. I love it. I'm serious, thanks for coming on to the show today. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I hope you did too. I'm sure our listeners will as well. Thanks, Joanna. Thank you, Joanna. Thanks, guys. Well, that's it for our two-part series all about M&A in mature industries. Of course, over this episode and the last episode, part one, we've been specifically looking at the print industry as representing how M&A can work in mature industries. We've really taken a great snapshot at the role of private equity, the role of different types of buyers, the role of looking at strategic buyers and offshore buyers. We've talked about the state of the industry. We've talked about the types of deals that are being done at the moment and the opportunity for the types of deals that can be done. We've looked at what is deemed valuable and we've also looked at critical factors that buyers are looking for when they're buying a business in this industry. Well, I hope you found this run through of looking at the print industry as representative of mature industries as a whole. Interesting and insightful. Of course, if you would like to contact Stephen Edwards or Stephen Stuti at Transworld North Sydney, just head over to our show notes or our website at thedealroompodcast.com where you'll be able to link straight through to both of them at Transworld North Sydney. There, you will also be able to download a transcript of this podcast episode if you'd like to read it in more detail. And of course, on that website, you will also find details of how to contact our legal eagles at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. Well, that's it. Thank you so much for tuning into this two-part series. I found it really interesting. I hope you did as well. And of course, if you enjoyed what you heard today, don't forget to press subscribe on your favorite podcast player so we can be delivered to your ear every week as we release. And finally, as well, if you enjoyed what you heard, then maybe pop over to your favorite podcast player and leave us a review. Well, that's it. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com. Dot au. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen.
will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. 